Particularly experts said, no, it will never take off. <laughs> and that, that pattern's been repeated. So people said, oh, people won't use cashless. They said that even this even before pandemic, people mm. said that you know, people won't use self-service check-in desks at an airport. People won't use self-service check-in desks at a supermarket, uh, check-out at the supermarket. Yeah. The number of times where people have come up with self-service technology and experts in that field have said, no, it won't, be, it won't happen, is quite staggering. Gainsight presents the Game Changer Podcast with host Adam Joseph. Hello, and welcome to the Game Changer Podcast brought to you by Gainsight. That clip was from today's guest, Dave Jackson, CEO of thecustomer.co. Today, we're talking all about product-led customer success. Dave's personal introduction to the philosophy when selling his company Click Tools to SurveyMonkey and Calidus Cloud, why the first ATM is a great example of product-led CS, how CSMs can help bridge the knowledge gap for poorly designed products, and the five components of product-led customer success. And now, your host, Adam Joseph. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the next episode of the Gamesight Game Changer podcast series. I'm Adam Joseph, the Director of Customer Success at Gamesight. Now, the upwards trajectory within customer success has been absolutely massive, and we've seen this in countless ways, whether that's from the number of companies that are putting customer success at their core, usage and reliance on customer success software, such as Gainsight, to monitor and understand customer health. And even just recently, we had over 22,000 people attend our Pulse Everywhere virtual event, which was just staggering. And we've seen this shift not only in how companies operate, but also in how products themselves have evolved, which has led to the emergence of product-led customer success. In other words, a change of mindset to building products with ease of use at its core, rather than just new functionality and new releases all the time. And this topic has especially resonated with my next guest, and I'm delighted to welcome Dave Jackson, who has really championed the cause for product-led customer success over the last few years, and I'm thrilled to get the opportunity to talk to him about it on this podcast. Dave, a really warm welcome to you. Thank you for the kind introduction, Adam. No, no, it's my pleasure. I mean, you and I have met several times in the past, and I've seen you present on this topic. And it's one that, that has always motivated me, and I think a really interesting one. So I'm delighted that we've got some time with you to, to kind of go through it in some detail. But before we get into the, the main part of the discussion, you're quite well known in the, in the circles of customer success, but I'm sure there are people out there who maybe haven't come across you personally yet. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. Oh, my background and myself. <laughs> well, let's try and do the, the abbreviated version, Dave. <laughs> the videos, and you see the the what few hairs I've got left are grey, so I am that old. I've been around quite a while. My background is quite mixed. I've been in industry, I've been in academia, I've been in consulting. And I guess the most relevant thing is probably two things. One is back in the late 1980s, I got really interested in the whole area of customer focus. And that's where I spent a lot of my time since. And then in 2000, I started along with a couple of friends, what was probably one of the UK's first true SaaS companies, Click Tools, founded in 2000, 
grew it, appointed my first CSM in 2005. And the only reason we did that was because that's what Salesforce were doing. And they were the people you looked to if you wanted to learn anything about SaaS back then. And then sold it twice. I sold at 49.9% to SurveyMonkey, because we were also a forms and survey app in 2010. And then sold 100% doing a, like a back-to-back deal to Calidus Cloud in 2014. And then since then, I've just continued my, my passion and interest for anything customer focus. And it's customer success particularly because of its importance. So now I spend my time advising B2B SaaS companies only and the investment community around how to build customer-centric, customer-success-based organizations. Well, I mean, if you've been lucky, anyone listening to this who's been lucky enough to, to see Dave present or even had the one-to-one conversation, your, your passion for the topic of customer success generally is, is it unbelievable. So I've learned, always learned a lot from our conversation. So really looking forward to digging into the topic of product-led customer success. But just before we do, I'm always keen to start these podcasts with a bit of fun and know, as well as being an experienced man, you're also a well-traveled one. But I'm keen to ask, of all, of all of the places in the world that you've never been, is there anywhere at the top of your bucket list that you'd love to visit? Albeit in, in lockdown at the moment, it would only have to be a thought rather than an actual <laughs> reality anytime soon. <laughs> yeah, I have been fortunate to travel into most parts of the world. I think I've been on every continent apart from South America and Antarctica. But there's one place that always fascinates me, never been, would love to go, and that's Mount Everest. Mm. As a school kid, I went to a talk, an illustrated talk by someone who climbed Everest, and it just completely got me hooked. So I've always been fascinated by, by climbing. I've done a little bit in my youth, but I think it's just such a different environment and it's such a special part of the world. And that's, that's the place where I'd like to go. Wow. Well, I, I mean, I've seen Which some... It's very appropriate for an icebreaker question, isn't it? <laughs> I guess it is, but yeah, I've never, I've never been a climber, but I've certainly seen documentaries on it that that are incredible. But uh, yeah, I hope, I hope for you, Dave, you get a chance to realise that dream one day. It would just be nice to get out of our local town, let alone up Everest. But you know, yeah. one step at a time. Yeah. But look, I, I, in my introduction, I, I talked about the the growth of product led customer success, which you very much championed and said about it. It's for me the 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 biggest thing is that, that this change of mindset. So products being built with very much ease of use at its core, rather than just functions. But I'd love to hear, in your own words, this whole philosophy behind product led customer success and what it means to you. I think ease of use is part of it, but I think that only goes a small way. Mm-hmm. I got really interested in this, particularly interested in this, as part of the deal with SurveyMonkey. And I was talking to the then chief exec, a guy called Dave Goldberg, who unfortunately died a few years ago. Great guy, absolutely great guy. And anybody that's done a deal, you know, at some point in time, you get to talking about, well, what's the price going to be? So Dave and I were were sat (laughs) talking around what they were going to pay for 49.9%. And I said, well, you know, look at our revenues and you've seen our growth plans and you've seen our execution capability and you're happy with all of that. So I think based on that and based on our growth, we should be paying X. And Dave said something that said really just resonated with me. Actually worried me at the time, but Mm. (laughs) has resonated ever since. He said, yeah, but look at your revenues. He said, you've got this much product revenue and you've got this much services revenue, and I don't want to pay the same for the services piece as I do for the product piece because it's eatable in the same way. 
And he said, the other thing is, in support of that product revenue, you've got these two lines in your P&L. One's called support and one's called customer success. And he said, I think they're both very necessary, but they're higher than I think they should be. So therefore, you're not as profitable as you could be. And therefore, I don't want to pay as much as you think you're worth. That's a, that's a, you know, a very short, canned version of it. And that got me really thinking. And if you think, you know, with product-led customer successes, a lot of people talk about it being a new thing. But SurveyMonkey started, I think, in 1989. And they've been product-led in everything they've done ever since. And so basically what Dave was telling me was, if you look at how you've built your, your organization, ClickTools, Dave, you've done it this way. If you look at what we've done in, in SurveyMonkey, we've done it a different way. We've actually put more effort into building a product that's not just easy to use, but allows people to achieve what they want as a result of that ease of use. And that's where the seeds for me of product-led customer success came from. So it goes back for me to, to 2000, September 2010. Interesting. I mean, I, I think in terms of what customers expect today, I, I think the bar has never been set higher, especially with the use of systems like Facebook, LinkedIn, or pick whatever social media tool that you have. I think most people in our in our personal lives, we just want to be able to pick up and start utilizing an app or a product straight away. So we expect we almost like use these social media platforms or professional media platforms are setting the bar really high for the, the overall product experience. But when in the world of B2B SaaS, very often what is actually delivered is, is very much below that bar. And sometimes actually customer success you know, is created at a business to really bridge that gap. However, you know, it, where I've seen that happen, it, it's, it's really negated the impact that customer success can deliver for a business and its customers. So if, if your CS team is there purely to bridge the gap between a poor product interface or experience, then that can be a real issue. I know I've seen that in different, in different businesses. Have you noticed that as well, where obviously they haven't gone down the route of product-led customer success? Yeah, and, and it really is quite interesting as to why that happens. I think the parallel with, with the consumer market is quite an interesting one because I think what the consumer companies do, consumer software companies, is assume that people are not software experts. And therefore, they build not just ease of use, but things like goals and targets and learning and motivation into the products themselves. Now, in some cases, that's I think has increasingly become a negative. So if you read some of the stuff about some of the dangers of overuse of social media, there's a great film out, just come out, I think it's called Screened Out. Mm. Must watch for anybody that's got kids around social media. But basically what they've done is they've, they've understood in some detail how this thing inside our school works and built software that maximizes in part their benefit, but also our enjoyment and use of that. So the ease of use is part of that, but I think it goes a little bit deeper than that again. Because, I mean, we talk about being in the age of the customer. You hear that phrase a lot. <laughs> but in, in, you know, with that, m most of the experience happens within the product. If you think about from your support teams or your customer success teams, they probably only touch a tiny fraction of the people who are regularly using your product. So the, the product itself needs to be a, a virtual CSM in, in its own right. Um, 
because otherwise, if you don't have active and engaged users, you haven't got much of a, that there is a limitation to how successful you, you can be as a business. So I often cite the example, actually, if ever I, I, I speak to any founders of businesses and they say, well, our, our product's built with a very specific user in mind. We're, we're very specialized. Therefore, maybe it's not quite as important as you think it is. I always cite the example. If I go back, there was a date in history where I think product-led customer success started for me, and that was June the 27th, 1967. Now, that's not a date that's going to resonate with many people, but Dave, do you know what happened on that date particularly? No, I don't actually. Well, here you go. So that was the, that was the date that the first ever ATM was launched. And yes. that was, I believe it was a Barclays Bank in, I think it was Finchley, which is North London. Was, yes. And yes. they had the guy from a sitcom at the time called On the Buses, yep. <laughs> Reg Var- I think it was Reg, Reg Vardy. Vardy. Vardy, thank Reg you. Vardy. Yeah. Vardy. Who, who, who kind of used this cash point for the first time. Now, if we think about it, today we take things like an ATM for granted. You don't need any training and, and to be able to use one. But at the time, it was almost revolutionary to think that you could draw your money out. Now, there's a, a picture that anyone can look up and there's a, a crowd of, of hundreds of people all around trying to see this, almost this, this magic being able to take place. Now, right that, they were very rudimentary. But yeah. at the time, if you try to tell anyone that you could use a machine to draw out your cash and just do some very simple banking, you'd be called almost a heretic. Whereas we go all the way to today where we're all very used to managing almost our entire financial lives through online without any any kind of training. Now, to me, that was almost a birth of product-led customer success yeah. and a really interesting example and in seeing how that spiraled on. So if we, we look at today with, with how B2B SaaS is and how we sit today in June 2020, and I think about the future, the next 10 or, or 20 years, I think we'll see some huge evolutionary shifts towards exactly what you're talking about. Is, is that something you'd concur with as well? It is, and I think the ATM is a great example, Adam, because of two things. One is, I think people were amazed at how quickly that was that technology became adopted in the populace, but also how many, particularly experts, said no, it will never take off, <laughs> and that, yeah. that part has been repeated. So people said, oh, people won't use cashless. They said that even this even before pandemic, people mm. said. That, you know, people won't use self-service check-in desks at an airport. People won't use self-service check-in desks at a supermarket. Uh, checkout at a supermarket. Yeah. The number of times where people have come up with self-service technology and experts in that field have said, "No, it won't be. It won't happen." Mm. Is quite staggering. Yeah. No, it's it's really interesting. So. I mean, we've, we've obviously, both you and I have seen examples of, of companies that have got this right and, and many that have got this wrong. And I think one of the, the, the biggest shifts of thinking is no one buys any product just because they like the look of the product. They, they, you buy any solution because there's a specific um, issue that they have, there's an obstacle, there's a pain point, or they want to become more effective or more efficient. Um, and so trying to help customers, we've got this acronym TTV, time to value, and being able, using your product to reduce time to value is incredibly important and always having at the, the top of your mind, understanding what that use case is and making sure your customers can, can get to it as quickly as possible. Because there are several penalties for getting it wrong. I mean, ultimately, I guess it, it will be churn. But even before that happens, you'll get low adoption rates, very high consumption gap, which is kind of just lots of pro- lots of features around your product that are never used. CSMs becoming end up becoming product trainers. You get 
poor sentiment scores from both employees and customers alone, your, your staff leave. There are so many different ways that you can see in getting this wrong. What, what have you seen from your experience about the penalties for getting, getting this wrong and not adopting a product-led customer success approach? I think the things around, around churn and product adoption are, are a piece of it. But to me, it all goes back to one thing. You know, you said that, that people buy software to achieve something. And I think and my field is purely B2B. I don't work B2C. So I think in that case, yes, they often do. And quite often, they want to achieve something very specifically and, and very quickly. But quite often, part of the problem is that the product alone won't do that. I've been around a long time, and one of the things that, that's been said around technology time and time and time again is that technology alone rarely changes things. Technology can enable change, can drive change, but it has to go hand in hand with probably changes of other parts of the organization, skill sets, metrics, processes, and you have to get into that. And I think the thing about that a lot of people mistake about product-led, I think is two things. One is it's not just about the product. Right, So product-led customer success, me for me, means that you guide the customer through the changes that they have to make to achieve their, the value that they're seeking, part of which is about how you use the product, but part of which is not. And I think the other thing they make is that people quite often, particularly the naysayers, make a, a wrong mental leap from product-led, and they interpret that as being product-only. I don't think that's the case. You know, quite often, I think what we're looking at is some sort of hybrid strategy, which is how do you use the product to guide people to success, but also how do you then supplement that where appropriate with good CSMs, good CS mm -hmm. capability. Now, I do think as the years progress, that level will shift. I think more and more success delivery capability will be built into the product. It's a bit like chopping the top off an iceberg. You solve a problem and then the next problem arises, you solve that. You're never going to solve all of them, but I do think we'll get to the stage where a lot of it is driven by the, the product. Now, the other thing, Adam, is not just about ease of use. I remember back in 20, what would it be, 2015, I was doing some work with a, with a company, a SaaS company based here in the UK. And one of the questions I was asked by the CEO was, how can we scale this massively? How can we scale our customer success team to, to grow the business massively? Oh, and by the way, want to remain profitable. And it got around to a conversation about, well, how many CSMs do you want? Mm. I think as part of the budgeting round, I went back to him and said, I'll tell you what, I'll give you five CSMs in return for five engineers dedicated to do this. And that was actually building the success process, which we'd figured out reasonably well. Not great, but we'd figured out reasonably well. He said, you, know, you need to do this, 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 and this and build it in the product. So does it have to be easy of use? Yes, but you've actually got to take a stage further than ease of use and say, what is the process that you use to deliver success to customers, and how do you productize that? Mm. How do you actually build some of those steps? Not all of them, but how do you build some of those steps into the product? Now, it's that, the starting point is the same. You have to understand who your target customers are, what are their needs and expectations, what are they trying to achieve, and you have to build a really deep understanding of that as the basis for saying, okay, here's the, here's the things we need to help you with to get you to your value point. And success process to me just breaks down to five things. Discovery, 
what else do I need to know to be able to serve this customer, this particular customer well? Benchmark and goals. Where are they now and where do they want to get to? And I think we're getting to the stage where the better we understand the domain that our product's working in, we can actually start to be prescriptive about what their goals should be. Once we understand where they are and where they want to get to, okay, what does the plan look like? Who needs to do what? Then it's all about, okay, as we go through this plan, here's help and advice and guidance to do that. Tools, techniques, case studies, whatever that might be, workbooks. And then the final thing is, how are we going to measure this? How are we going to measure the value that you've achieved and the progress that you're making towards the goal that you've set? Now, I think there's ways that you can actually productize elements of those five steps. So, for example, if you go and sign up for a product called Notion, it's a productivity tool. The first thing you do when you register for Notion is it presents you with a couple of screens. And I did it a couple of years ago, so it might be a bit different. And the first things, it's just, it asks you questions. It says, what's your role? And it says, what do you want to use Notion for initially? So it's understanding who you are, what are your use cases, what you're trying to achieve. No CSM involved in that. I mean, so I, you can, you're starting to see a real success process built into the product. I mean, I love the, the concept of what you're saying. I love these five stages of product-led customer success that you've just outlined. This might be a simple question, but it won't stop me from asking it. How do you know when you've actually achieved what you're looking for? Because there isn't, there isn't so much of a, a litmus test in terms of you know, how far along, where are we now, where do we want to get to? How do you measure your progress? And how do you know if, if, if you've actually achieved it? Is it from, you might have some of that data already, be that adoption, for example, or advocacy, take up of different functions and features that were, weren't previously used? having a different kind of relationships with your customers than, than you've had before. How do, how do you measure how far along you are in this path? And how do you know when you've reached your goal? How do you know when you've met the, the tip of Mount Everest, to use your previous example? Right. Yeah. That's a really core question, Adam. By the way, it's a question that applies whether you're delivering success enabled by the product or whether you're using CSMs to do it. You still have the same question to answer. So I could, I could be you know, very cheeky and say, well, actually, that's just a question for customer success, not specific to product-led customer success. So you think the yeah. same rules generally apply? So it, it's, yeah. don't think of it two separate things. It's, it's really think of it as the same thing. I think those five steps, discovery, benchmark and goals, plan, advice and guidance, measurement, doesn't matter whether you do it in product, purely with people, or a hybrid of the two, the same process applies. Now. Do I think you need to answer that? Yes, you do. Do I think part of that you've got to get deep into understanding your customers? Absolutely. Do I think a lot of companies are good at doing that? No, I don't, actually. I think we build a surface understanding of our customers. I think we rely on a lot of data that we've got rather than a lot of data that we need. So I don't think we invest in customer success generally, not just product-led customer success, in understanding that deeply enough. And it's I, I, hard work. And I think that's why a lot of it doesn't get done. As, as this say in Yorkshire where I come from, you have to live in your customer's shoes. Yeah. I, I think that's true. And I think just to kind of echo something that I mentioned earlier, sometimes, I mean, I've definitely seen examples of where CSM seem to exist just to help bridge the knowledge gap for poorly designed, not just products, but processes as well. 
so if if I'm listening to this and I, I I think I fall into that category, I spend all of my time kind of trying to walk my through walk my customers through a process within the product to help them get to some kind of value and to spend all of my time repetitively doing the same thing over and over again. Where, where do I go? I mean, obviously, yes, I could go and hire a Dave Jackson to go and do some consultancy for them and, and show them that. But as a CSM or a team of CSMs, what, what can we do to to kind of really highlight this issue and bring together? And this isn't just a product issue. I think this is, as you said, goes way deeper than that. Have you got any advice of, for what CSMs can do in that situation? Yeah, I think listen to customers more and more and more. What you're trying to do is you're trying to build a picture of two things. And by the way, I don't think this is just the responsibility of a CSM. I do think it's an area where CS should absolutely take the lead. We shouldn't wait for it to come to us. We should actually go and grasp this as a task and say, I'll take that. And there's two parts to it. One is, what does an ideal customer look like? Target companies. So, you know, what industry do we do? We target? Do we target a particular growth size? Do we target a, t- a particular language? Whatever that might look like. Do we target a particular function within that? But the second piece is what I call the role profiles. Who are the people that we have to deliver success to? And then we've got to start to understand, well, what work do they do? How are they measured? What do they worry about at night? And you just start to build up this picture. It's a simple framework that you can, that you can use. It's a, think about roles, think about work, challenges, metrics. How do we want these people to feel, the emotional piece of it? And therefore, that starts to guide you to say, well, what does a success, what does a success plan look like at this mm. part of the journey for this particular individual? It's hard work. It's easy to describe, Adam, but it's hard work. <laughs> and I think quite often we, we're looking for a shortcut to hard work when there isn't one. Yeah, I mean, I agree. But I think many of the concepts that we've spoken about today and drawn out, as I always find conversations with you, and I always learn a lot from them, as I said at the beginning, and this one's been absolutely no different. Dave, thank you so much for spending some time with us today. I hope you get to realize your dream one day of, of climbing Mount Everest. But in the meantime, thank you for shining a light on this topic. It's been a fantastic conversation. Thank you again. I very much appreciate the opportunity, Adam. And yeah, like you, I also hope I get to see Everest in its reality someday. <laughs> Thanks, David. Bye now. Bye. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Gainsight Game Changer podcast. Please follow, rate, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information about all of our episodes, please visit Gainsight.com. This podcast is produced and edited by StudioPod. To learn more about their work, go to StudioPodSF.com.